2: And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... the Oscar goes and the to... Oscar goes to...
1: My only object in being here
0: is to try and get
1: at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly,
0: my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. you am gonna make him an awful kid. All oh, real, Love Mary. is... It is love. Too weak a word. for back. For, I know. you. I loathe I you. I love you. I did as you saw. Don't laugh! If there's
1: something wrong, it's wrong with the instruction. This ain't
0: reality TV! back it! And validate it!
2: Remember that you told me! It's time, Robbie!
0: Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast.
2: And the Oscar goes to Green Book.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 139 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. Happy Easter, everyone, and happy Passover as well this weekend. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 1111 11, AM. Make a wish, yo! Here to join me for episode 139 on April 21st, I have Cody Derricks. Hiya. And Tom O'Brien. Hey, everybody. All right, so gentlemen... For this week's episode, we have a couple of things that we're going to be going over. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Cannes Film Festival lineup, which was announced this week. We have a trailer for another horror movie remake from the 80s to talk about. Uh, we're going to go over the polls. We'll give a little preview for Avengers Endgame, which opens up this week, answers some fan questions. So first things first, I want to ask you all, like I do every week, what did everyone catch up on this week, either in theaters or at home? Tom, let's start off with you.
1: I, I cheated a little bit. It's, it's halfway... Uh, movie halfway not um I, I actually went to a theater Our one of our local theaters was showing the national theater live production live from the west end in london of uh all about eve oh wow the first stage production of it ever mm-hmm. um directed by Ivo van hove who's a bit of a nutcase but an interesting <laughs> director and, <laughs> and it stars uh it was originally a, a, a vehicle for Kate Blanchett, who had to drop out. Boy, Kate Blanchett as uh, Margot Channing would have been something. But we have Gillian Anderson, who's very good in the role. And then the revelation was as Eve Harrington, the scheming uh, young thing. Uh, Lily James. Oh, she's wonderful in this thing.
0: Yeah, she's been pretty wonderful in a lot of different things lately. She's uh, one of those actresses that. Just continues to keep impressing me with each uh, passing role that I see her in.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and she makes for a fascinating Eve. Very different from Ann Baxter. Uh, Bonhove uses a lot of television, a lot of Steadicam in the in the uh, stage production, so that we get you know long shots of backstage and what's going on back there and what people are saying. Uh, he, he's very innovative in that way. He is currently. Represented on Broadway with a adaptation of uh, the H. Chayefsky Film Network. Oh, wow. With Brian Cranston, which is mm-hmm. now playing on Broadway. And this may come as well. I don't know. Uh, it's okay in, in terms of, you know, uh, love Gillian Anderson, but she's not going to replace Betty Davis. Uh, the All the zingers are in there. Uh, uh, but um, it's not... It's not a terrific production. I, you know, I'd say stick to the movie.
2: Yeah, is it still set in the fifties, uh, or did they update it?
1: And you know, it's it's very vague. Uh, I was kind of curious about that myself, and uh, they just go through it, but there's no reference. But they don't update it to the point where there's cell phones and computers and laptops and things like that. Um, but it, it's it's kind of timeless.
2: Okay, cool. Uh, Cody, what about you? Well, I watched Under the Silver Lake, which we discussed in the podcast yesterday. Um, Otherwise, I haven't been able to get to the theaters much recently, but I did. My boyfriend and I are working through the Marvel movies again, you know, just in time for Infinity War, and we just finished rewatching Phase 1. And I gotta say, I I knew I wasn't really into the Marvel movies in general. Phase 1 is not very good. Like, across the board, I think it's pretty bad. (laughs) I
0: totally agree with you, Cody. Outside of maybe the first Iron Man film, I remember those first couple of movies definitely took me a while to warm up to. I was definitely not as much of a big MCU fan as I am now, because I do feel that a lot of the criticisms that they did face early on, they were able to course correct with some of the uh, sequels that came after.
2: Yeah. I, I don't even love the first Iron Man very much. And I don't quite know why it just doesn't work for me. My favorite of phase one is by far Captain America. I think it's, so exciting and i think the ending is like perfect um but even the original avengers i don't think is very good this time i was really struck by how poorly made it was that seems yeah but it looks it's it looked very cheap to me on rewatch it was very much like a television episode the filmmaking is really flat in general
0: i think that's when uh, marvel started facing criticisms for uh their cinematography actually
2: Right, and then I looked up the DP. It's the guy who shot like Atonement. So he can do beautiful cinematography. I think he was just shuddered by what he was forced to do in this movie.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what the story is behind that. And I outside of the, like the final battle that takes place in New York, uh I I I, I know we have reviewed Avengers fairly recently. I want to say we did it about a year ago on the podcast. It was probably, if I recall, one of our earliest uh, Patreon episodes, actually, and I liked it less on a rewatch than I did in 2012. In 2012, I think I saw it like multiple times at the movie theater, if I recall correctly. But watching it now, uh, yeah, Cody, like those flaws became so much more apparent this time around, and it really wasn't until we got to like Ragnarok, Black Panther, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, like like those series of movies like following one after another like that that's when i started to really get back on the marvel track again
2: yeah i'm excited to see phase two because i'm a big defender of thor the dark world so i'm excited to see if that holds up to my um you know defense of it
0: i'll say this for that uh good for you because i do not like that film at all
2: (laughs) well i don't like ragnarok so Uh, (laughs)
0: there you go and that's the cool thing about Marvel is that, you know, 22 films and there could be such a variety of opinions. I, uh, That's actually our poll question for this week, which normally would be a segue, but I'm going to, you know, hold off on that until a little later. Uh, and we'll talk about Avengers Endgame in a little bit, actually. Uh, as far as what I saw this week, I saw The Tomorrow Man, which was a movie that I missed at uh, Sundance, and it stars uh, John Lithgow and Blythe Danner as uh, two elderly people who uh, find love uh, with one another. And it's very much kind of like a, uh, like a hipster romantic comedy for the senior citizen crowd. It's All right. uh, very quirky, and you know there's something sweet and endearing about it, but it can be also equally like just as awkward at times. Uh, I, I I found it to be you know quite, kind of refreshing, and of course, uh, Liffgall and uh, Danner are just you know, it's John Liffgall and Blythe Danner. <laughs> what more could you ask for? You can watch them all day. Exactly. Uh, I saw an, an, another indie film uh, called Little Woods uh, from Neon, starring Tessa Thompson and Lily James. Uh, that was very good because of the director, the writer-director, Nia DaCosta. Uh, it's her directorial debut, and she definitely shows a strong hand at uh, gaining empathy from the audience for these characters. She definitely has a good focus on character, Um In place and really uh, does, uh, I think, a really fantastic job of guiding the story, even though it is very small in scale. So I'm very excited to see what she can do in the future, because if I remember this correctly, I think she's tapped to do uh, Candyman, the remake of that. So, wow. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's what IMDb says. Mm -hmm. So I'll be very, very interested to see where she goes. Uh, with that from here because this is pretty strong work overall and of course as you all probably heard on our podcast review for this week i saw under the silver lake which was unique to say the least (laughs) (laughs) listen to the episode you'll hear all about it oh yes you will 100 percent uh okay so moving on then from what we uh watched this week uh, today is easter sunday and i thought i would do something uh, kind of fun uh really quick I thought maybe I would uh, throw some uh, religious uh, movies at you guys, and I would just try to gain an idea of your uh, taste in movies if I were to ask you to choose one of the two that I'm going to throw at you. So in terms of... Is this a conversion, Matt? Are you converting us? Not exactly, no. No? All right. Okay, so in comparing uh different kinds of religious films uh i'll start off first with the uh religious epic so which one of these do you prefer over the other do you prefer kingdom of heaven or ben-hur the original not the remake we don't talk about that uh tom um
1: i would ben-hur uh had a really big impact on me when i saw it as a kid uh and uh Uh, it was one of those, it was a picture that was playing at a theater far away, which was very exotic and it was playing, had it played for a year. That's back when things actually did play for a year. And I got to say that chariot race knocked me out. Kingdom of heaven is okay. I thought, "Mm," but um, I'll go with Ben Hart.
2: Okay. Cody. Uh, me too. I think kingdom of heaven is kind of boring, uh, ben-hur i haven't seen in maybe 10 years but i I really need to revisit it but i remember being really impressed by yeah like you said definitely the chariot race i remember i had a history teacher in middle school that showed that to us in class i think just because she wanted to watch it (laughs) but definitely definitely ben-hur okay all right so uh if kingdom
0: of heaven is considered boring is it as boring as ridley scott's other religious epic exodus gods and kings oh god
2: I I have not seen that, and I never will.
1: Oh, Kingdom of Heaven looks like Citizen Kane next to that.
2: My boyfriend and I were joking about the movie the other day because you could swap those words around any order in the title, and it would still be the same.
0: Yes. Uh, Have either one of you ever seen The Robe? Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, Comparing The Robe to, say, uh, what's one that uh, we could compare that to? How about... Why don't we actually compare the robe to the Last Temptation of Christ? Oh, now
2: I haven't seen that one. Um, <gasps> you have not seen a Martin Scorsese film, Cody. <laughs> so that's where Jesus, like, is like, ooh, I'm sexy, right? That's Willem Dafoe.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a few. Uh, there's there's some things to nitpick with uh, Last Temptation of Christ, to say the least. <laughs> I have not got
2: around to that one, unfortunately. I know that's a sole director nomination, which I'm always interested in those kind of movies, but um. The robe is also not good. So, <laughs> having not seen it, I'm still going to go with Last Temptation of Christ.
0: Okay, Tom,
1: I I saw Last Temptation of Christ at the very first show in L.A., uh, and there was a I had to run a gauntlet of protesters to get into the theater. It was very exciting. I have to Love say, <laughs> when I saw the film, it it knocked me out. It really did, uh, in a way that probably no biblical epic I've ever seen has done. Uh, So I'm going to go with that.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, In sticking with uh, maybe, say, some controversial uh, religious films before, we'll stick with Last Temptation of Christ uh, for this comparison here, Tom. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ or The Da Vinci Code? Oh. Uh,
1: No-brainer. Last Temptation.
0: Okay. All right. That's totally fair. Uh, the da vinci code or darren aronofsky's noah
2: Ooh, mm. noah is so fun <laughs> noah's a blast
1: it's kind of a mess but i would i would go with noah yeah
2: oh yeah it's I, I love that sequence where it's kind of creationism mixed with evolutionary theory do you remember that one yeah Where it kind of goes through yes. all of creation but it still shows you know creatures crawling out of the sea i really love that
0: mm. going back again to ben-hur uh, ben Hur or the Ten Commandments?
2: Now, okay, I Ten Commandments is one of my blind spots. I have not seen that either. They usually show it. I think
0: every year.
2: I know, this time and on every television. every Easter, I'm like, I'm gonna watch it, and then I, I never get on around to it. Last night, yeah,
1: gosh, wow, I love Edward G. Uh, Robinson in it though. <laughs> there's a there's a real Velveeta factor with Ten Commandments.
0: But, I really uh, love both of them. Yeah, I. I think I prefer Ben-Hur more. Me too. So so far it sounds like Ben-Hur is kind of like winning out <laughs> like on all these comparisons here. So let's let's throw let's throw a little bit of our competition in Ben-Hur for a second here. Uh Ben-Hur or another Martin Scorsese says he filmed Silence.
2: Oh my god, I love Silence. It's Silence all the way. That movie is one of the most intriguing movies I saw I saw that year.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's actually my favorite film of uh 2016.
2: Yeah, I remember not even being sure if I was liking it. I, the cyclical structure was kind of tiring me out. And then I realized that's purposeful. And mm-hmm. then it really just kind of hit me how masterful that is. There's some
0: certain movies where pacing and, uh, you know, the length of a film is completely deliberate. Because I do think that we are supposed to feel uh, Garfield's anguish, inner turmoil, and really just the pain and suffering that he's enduring throughout the movie on both a physical and mental level. And that length, uh, helps that a lot, you know? So yeah, silence a hundred percent. I, in fact, I think if you put silence up against almost everything, I I think I'm probably going to choose silence every time. Actually.
2: Me too. Probably.
0: Yeah. it's, It's one of Garfield's best performances. I think. Yeah, he was nominated for the wrong
2: movie that year, easily. A
0: hundred percent agreed with you. Uh, Silence got the shaft that year, only a cinematography nomination, which was deserved, but it it deserved so much more than that. Uh, The Passion of the Christ or The Last Temptation of Christ? Oh, boy.
1: It's it's, it's uh, really—the Passion of the Christ has such political ramifications of it because of Mel Gibson and, and his Catholicism. Um I'm still gonna go with Last Temptation.
0: I actually prefer Passion of the Christ. You do. And I and I and I say this because I think it's a more beautiful film. I think the music is great, the cinematography is incredible. I think the makeup is as horrific as it is, it's still really incredible work. Um and it's also
2: I think the more emotionally affecting of the two.
1: I kind of say it's 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 very ballsy.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I think even though I don't think it's that great as a film, I'm pretty sure every all the three nominations that it got, I would probably give it the win. Wow, I think it's really beautifully made. The cinematography, like you said, is incredible, and that makeup is just I mean, appropriately horrific. The movie doesn't work if the makeup it doesn't work. No, true. Uh,
0: so then I know that we've pretty much said like silence, you know, kind of like defeats all but another film that's like very similar to it. Have you ever one of you ever seen the mission? Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes. That's really good. I really, I really enjoyed that. I think
2: it's just okay. Uh, oh. but, but sorry, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's fine. That's, that score is maybe the most purely beautiful score ever written for a film. It's unbelievable. Any of Morricone's work. I recently bought that on vinyl and just kind of blasted it through my house. Uh-huh. Um, I definitely recommend listening to the score by itself if you haven't. It's gorgeous.
1: guess I, I, I second the score. It is beautiful, just great. I think I think the score is better than the movie.
2: Yes, one hundred percent, percent.
1: The film is fine, um, but I was one. I wound up listening more than I was watching.
2: Mm.
0: And I just want to pay special mention because uh, there's not really that many films to compare this to because they don't really make religious animated movies, but the Prince of Egypt is like so freaking good. I love that movie. Gorgeous. I was just uh, yesterday. It was, was Passover and I, I don't know how or where or why in my browser, but like Prince of Egypt just sort of came up and I saw a screenshot of it. It's the screenshot of them uh, crossing the, uh, the sea and it's a shot of the whale. Do you guys remember that yep, shot? Yep. All right. Yes, yes. And I just thought to myself, like, this movie is freaking gorgeous for 1998 animation. And I started just pulling up more screenshots. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this movie looks incredible. And I started thinking to myself, man, oh, man, like, I wonder if it would have won Best Animated Film in 1998 because it did get the um, the song win.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah. a score nomination. Yeah.
0: Oh, wait, did Hans Zimmer get nominated for that?
2: Yeah, that was when they split uh, musical comedy and drama and it was up for musical comedy. Right. Yeah. Because his score in that is also, yeah,
0: very good. And I remember it won Critics Choice Award that year tied with uh, A Bug's Life, which, you know, that would have that would have been, I guess, its biggest competition that year. Probably. Or that, Mulan. Or... Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, like Mulan and was Iron Giant 1998 as well? No, that was
2: 99.
0: Oh, OK, I was going to say, I think. Well, then uh was so South Park was 99, right?
2: yes correct yes.
0: okay 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 so one year before so yeah i think its biggest competition would have just been a bug's life
2: yeah that movie is phenomenal the music is fantastic and it really has a great legacy i i host a uh, monthly movie drinking game at the music box theater here in chicago and this month's movie was the prince of egypt and we got like a packed room people were really losing their minds over which i was really happy to see this movie has a great legacy
0: yeah okay Well, uh, moving on now from that. uh, Happy Passover. Happy Easter, everyone that's listening. Uh, We hope that you're enjoying the time uh, this weekend with your families. Uh, We're going to now move over to uh, Cannes, which is coming up pretty soon in May, from May 14th to May 25th. We got the lineup announced on Thursday for the 72nd annual festival. I can already pretty much tell you all that while none of us are going to be going to Cannes ourselves (laughs) this year... Uh, We definitely will be covering it as best as we possibly can uh, from over here in the States. Uh, So the thing that everybody seems to be going on this year about with the Cannes Film Festival lineup is how international it is this year and how there's a lack of, quote unquote, big names to which I say, piss on that.
1: (laughs) Fooey on that.
0: Yeah, I, I don't understand. I mean, I understand those people, but at the same time, I don't understand those people because it's like I don't feel like they understand what Cannes is, if that's the case. Um, you know, out of competition, the biggest film they have there is uh, probably Rocket Man from Dexter Flusher. But, I mean, you also have Nicholas Winding Refn uh, coming in with uh, two of his uh, episodes from his TV series, Too Old to Die Young. Uh, you got the Jim Jarmusch film, uh, The Dead Don't Die, which is in competition. Pain and Glory from Pedro Almodovar, which we uh, talked about last week. The Darden Brothers with Young Ahmed. Xavier Dolan's new film is going to be there. Ken Loach is going to be there. Terrence Malick is going to be there. Ira Sachs is going to be there. I Like, you know, what, what do people, I guess what people ultimately wanted was they wanted to hear Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or uh, Greta Gerwig's uh, Little Women uh, being announced. Yeah,
1: I can't imagine. I mean, she just had a baby. I can't imagine it's ready yet.
0: Which congratulations to her and to yes. <laughs> um, Noah Bomback on that. That's really great.
1: I know, but I mean that that seemed to be an odd balloon that they flew up. But I don't
0: think that's going to happen. It's going to be a great year for both of them. They both have films coming out, and they have a baby that already came out. So this is fantastic.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, a lot of people expressed a lot of disappointment. No Quentin Tarantino and no Greta Gerwig. Which you know, I, in the in the days leading up to the announcement. A lot of people, I think, got their hopes up a little too much. But I think
2: what we got here is really solid. I guess I am surprised that Tarantino isn't in the lineup considering he's a former winner. But at the same time, it's a super American movie. Not that that means that Cannes wouldn't accept it, but I I just think it's maybe a little bit out of their wheelhouse.
0: Well, I also think, too, like at the end of the day, Tarantino, I think, has Final Cut approval over his film. So if it's not ready and he's not satisfied with it, it ain't going. But I would
1: say just wait. I think he really wants to have this at con. And uh, just a hunch, uh, if it can if it can be done in time, he'll get it in and they'll wonder, you know, accept it with open arms.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the film that I'm most intrigued by, though, is um, the new Terrence Malick film, A Hidden Life, and that's only because uh, I've been pretty vocal of my distaste of Terrence Malick.
2: <laughs> You're not alone <laughs> yes. about this.
0: <laughs> and, and well, ever since Tree of Life, like pretty much almost this entire decade, I've really just despised his work. Um, I know some people really connect with it, and that's totally great. But I really, really need him to go back to having some sort of a plot in his movies. Yep. And from what I understand, uh, this is it. Yeah. So that's why I'm excited about it, because I, I definitely yearn for the days of the fin Red Line, the New World, Tree of Life, even though they were experimental at times. They still
2: had somewhat of a plot. To right, that. They were grounded to a time and a place. They weren't just exploratory poems. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's actually a yeah. great way of putting it.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm mean, i excited because he's working with um Yeah, He's terrific in this. You he's want to great. talk
0: about somebody who is overdue for some Academy love. I mean, have either one of you seen the Mustang? Yes. He's so good not. in it. He's yeah. so good in it so so good he's probably still my favorite lead actor performance of the year uh with that actually i would say agreed uh yeah so apparently there will be more added to the lineup uh from what i understand uh this is not fully set in stone there may be a surprise or two added later on but as of right now this is what we got so any other comments or thoughts on the uh, lineup for ken
2: uh, I'm really excited for Iris Sachs' film Frankie. I've yeah. liked, I've really liked two out of the three of uh, his movies I've seen, um, L- uh, Little Men and Keep the Lights On. I thought Love Is Strange was good. I didn't, it didn't really connect with me, but I'm—he's a voice that I am really excited to see keep getting success.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I'm nuts about uh, Boon Jun Ho, who's yeah, back, back with this with Parasite. I mean, I I can't tell you. I think I seen the host about six times
0: oh I've the
2: host is so good
1: <laughs> and and snow piercer i think about three or four times
0: snow uh, piercer made my top 10 that year that movie is phenomenal
1: me, me too me too and so, so i'm very excited about a new one from him so um that's the one i'm rooting for did
0: you like oakjah tom
1: i did it's nuts
0: <laughs> but that's what i liked about
2: it yeah yeah
0: what about you cody did you like oakjah
2: uh i don't know <laughs> it was <laughs> way in the middle for me uh i liked that big old pig very cute yeah uh jake gyllenhaal was i don't know what sort of quaaludes he was on to make that movie but it was definitely interesting it,
1: it seems <laughs> like he takes pharmaceuticals when he's on netflix <laughs> with that uh, velvet
2: uh yep. velvet buzzsaw baby
0: <laughs> god okay so moving on then uh from can this year uh we're going to talk about a trailer for a film that's not playing a can uh for obvious reasons but will be released in the summertime from orion pictures yeah oh, i have to say i love seeing that logo <laughs> anytime tied oh, to a trailer nice. yeah it takes me back it takes me back uh this is the remake slash reboot of the 1988 film Child's Play titled Child's Play. It stars Aubrey Plaza, Gabriel Bateman, Brian Tyree Henry, and Mark Hamill as the voice of Chucky. Let's take a look at this trailer.
2: Andy, I know this move has been really tough, but this is supposed to be a new start for us.
0: Remember? You said you were going to try to make new friends. Buddy can connect to and control all
1: of your Caslin products and smart home devices. Introducing your new best
0: friend. Wow, well, I need to tell you something, and I need you to believe me. I think Chucky did something.
1: something you better tell me
0: something is wrong with Chucky
1: buddy can connect to and control all your
0: Chucky is a toy he could be anywhere
1: welcome to Dazzling Car
0: so cody you are our resident horror movie geek what do you you make of the 2019 version of child's play from this trailer
2: okay i was super super skeptical but just pressing play on youtube because the original child's play series is technically still going on i mean don mancini released a Cult of Chucky movie just two years ago, I believe. And so I was a little bit wary for this movie that I'm almost positive has no input from him, who has otherwise been sort of the auteur of the entire series. But then I watched the trailer and I got to say, the perspective they're taking of having Chucky as sort of an evil Alexa is definitely interesting. I agree. <laughs> and yeah. that's, I think, if you're going to remake this movie, which I I don't hate horror remakes, but you really have to justify yourself existing and not just trying to be a cash cow. I think that's the way to update it for 2019. So I'm, I'm going to see it for sure. I don't know if it'll be as good as the original, which is just an absolute blast. It's such a fun movie, but I'm definitely intrigued. Um, and Mark Hamill, as we know, is such a good voice actor. So I think he's a great jo- uh, voice for Chucky.
0: Yeah, because Brad Dourif, I think, is pretty iconic with the yeah. voice of Chucky that – if you're going to get a voice actor to replace him, and, and listen, it's probably sacrilegious to do that anyway, regardless, but Mark Hamill is, I would say, at the top of anyone's list.
2: Right, and I'm sure he'll be doing some sort of Brad Dorif, not impersonation, but it won't not be inspired by him. Agreed. Although, mm-hmm.
0: from what I understand, in this version, Chucky is not meant to be a possessed demon doll. It's like... They're they're going with a totally different take on it.
2: Okay, I don't hate that. I I like updating. And I, again, if you're gonna remake it, I think making it kind of its own thing is the way to do it. Otherwise, it's like, what's the point? Watch the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. What
0: about you, Tom?
1: Uh, you know, I, I I'm really intrigued by the Alexa angle on it. Um, it it does make it feel uh, modern and fresh. You know, the the trailer itself, I thought, was kind kind of routine.
0: You know what it reminded me of? And I'm not just saying this because in the trailer they promote this, but um, I do feel that it is trying to capitalize on the success of it. Yeah. And I actually think that if they go uh, the same route that they did with this, clearly in the marketing materials, I think that they are. But in terms of the tone of the movie and how it is presented to the audience, I think that if they, you know, go more of the serious route as opposed to the B-level comedy horror route Yeah. with the character, I think that they might actually have something here. But if they really play this for laughs, which the character has kind of become a parody of himself at this point uh, through uh, Don Mancini and what he has done with the uh, subsequent sequels, I think this is going to fall right on its face, and I think critics are not going to embrace it. Agreed. What do you, what do you think, uh, Cody? Do you think it's going to go the route of
2: uh, uh, serious horror, or do you think it's going to be that parody comedy horror? The original one isn't a comedy but it's also not you know it's not the exorcist it's definitely got a campy level to it mm-hmm. which is i mean it's about a freaking possessed doll how could it not so i think that's more fun than comedic and if the movie maintains that energy i think that'll be definitely to its uh, benefit
0: and i definitely think there's a uh, maybe uh, a commentary that they could probably add through the alexa angle oh absolutely uh, in, I mean, I, you I, know technology for
2: sure yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: so there might be some cultural relevance with it that you know just helps to you know give it give it a sense of purpose as opposed to hey let's try to remake every single horror film from the 80s for box office cash because look what it did you know right yeah uh and speaking of which uh just in, i was just thinking of its cast uh Aubrey Plaza Brian Tyree Henry uh, you know like we already talked about Mark Hamill but just having Aubrey Plaza and Brian Tyree Henry in the same movie is enough to probably get me to get my ass in the theater. <laughs> oh yeah, probably me too.
2: <laughs> Brian Tyree Henry is working so hard. I feel like he's in everything now.
0: Oh well, yeah. I mean, I'm happy that he is. I think no, he's a welcome, fantastic. Yeah, he's a welcome presence in pretty much anything. He's going to be in a uh, Joker. Uh, he'll be in Woman in the Window. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a movie I saw him in at Sundance that's getting a release this year called uh, Relive that he'll that he's in.
2: Apparently, he's in Godzilla versus King Kong. <laughs> Oh, my God. Is is that coming out this year or next year? I can't remember. 2020 next year. Uh, Okay, Okay. but I
0: really
1: hope I mean, we saw what he could do in if Beale Street could talk. Yeah, we did. Only he could get a role like that again.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, man! too bad the Academy didn't see what he did in that movie, because Uh dear God, if there was ever a performance that with one single scene deserved an Oscar nomination, that was it. That's yeah, a, classic was,
2: supporting performance. Exactly.
0: That's going to go down as like one of the all-time great
2: monologues in like mm-hmm. film history. Right. It's 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 more than one line. It you have to watch the whole thing as a whole. Yeah. I want <sighs> I want to rewatch Beale Street now. It's so good. <laughs> Hi everyone. This is Tim Costa.
0: I'm Hermano de Silva, and this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together and then discuss. These movies could be new. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, let's talk about this. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. up. God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. All right, moving on to the polls. Uh, For last week's poll for Under Silver Lake, we asked everyone which is their favorite Andrew Garfield performance. I think that we're all pretty you know, uniform here in that I think the three of us would all say silence, right? Easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Okay, so looking at the list here, uh with over 242 votes, in 5th place with 14 votes, we have Never Let Me Go. Oh. In 4th place with 18 votes, we have Under the Silver Lake. All right. He's good in it In 3rd place with 46 votes, <sighs> silence. Yeah. Okay,
2: readers, whatever. <laughs>
0: In second place, with 51 votes, Hacksaw Ridge. Okay. And in first place, with 87 votes, is The Social Network, which he is very good in, and he did deserve an Oscar nomination for that, but I, I think Silence is his best work by far.
2: I would put his work in Spider-Man over his work in Hacksaw Ridge. That was That's a that's an interesting result. Mm.
1: Mm, I don't know. I, I'm a fan of his performance in Hacksaw Ridge. Not so much for the movie, but... Um, He's really good
0: in that. I just I wouldn't say he's movie. very good. I would say that he's good, but I don't know if I would say that he was very good. I think he was very good in silence. Well, yeah. Um I wouldn't I wouldn't put them I wouldn't put them on the same level though, personally. No. I do think he is very good in the social network because for such a cold and detached movie with unlikable characters, he is the beating heart of that film. And if his performance does not work, then nobody would care about that movie, period.
2: Oh yeah! No, he's like truly the beating heart and soul of the movie.
0: That scene where he <laughs> breaks his computer and just oh, yells my God. At "Mark" is fantastic. My prada's at the cleaners. Oh, <laughs> so good, <laughs> along with my hoodie and my fuck you flip flops. You pretentious douchebag!
2: <laughs> I remember my audience gasping when they revealed the percentage of his shares that was reduced to. Yeah, oh, so oh, good,
0: so good. Was it like 0.003%? It like point, yeah, or it was
2: something ridiculously reduced. It was yeah. insane. Oh, my
0: God. Oh, that's going to make my best of the decade list. It's going to be in the top five probably yeah, by no, far. Definitely. It's such a masterpiece. I, I can go on and on about it all day. Uh, all right. So then for this week's poll, we finally have arrived to Avengers Endgame Week. We are asking everyone... Which is their favorite film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? We've asked everyone to choose up to five because ah, let's face it, I, I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is such that if I asked you to just choose one, people would be splitting their hairs trying to figure out which one to pick. So I decided to be fair and I said you can choose up to five and you could do four, you could do three, two, one, whatever, but you can do up to five. And so we'll see then. Uh, which films get the most mentions as people's favorite film within the MCU? So, with that said, and leading up to Avengers Endgame, which is, by all accounts, a culmination of this entire... I know we've had Phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3 of Marvel uh, so far, but this is kind of the end of... I don't know what you would call it. The ultimate Phase 1 of Marvel? <laughs> I don't know. But in any event, uh, this is definitely a very, very big deal. The movie is probably going to eclipse... Infinity War in terms of its box office, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, man, looking at everything here, looking at, you know, from the very beginning with 2008's Iron Man, all the way up until most recently Captain Marvel. Tom, which films or film, uh, you can feel free to name a couple or one, whatever you want, uh, have been to stand out for you in the MCU?
1: I think the best made of the Marvel films is Black Panther. It's it's it, it's impeccable in its mm. filming. Um, my favorite, though, is probably the surprise I found with the humor in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, when uh, when Chris Pratt is listening to his, you know, iPod and just grooving down. It's like, wait a minute, this is a Marvel film. What is he doing here? He's not dour. and that's and that really sort of put a big smile on my face. And I don't, I haven't had that kind of experience with a Marvel film since. So I'm going to go with that.
2: Cody? I almost completely agree with everything you just said, Tom. Black Panther's my number one with a bullet. Um, I, it gets better every time I rewatch it. It's just so well made and exciting. And um, in second place, like you said, is Guardians of the Galaxy, which also is the first time I ever connected with the Marvel movie. I remember watching it in theaters and getting a similar feeling to watching Star Wars for the first time. Just a yeah. level of fun and excitement and something fresh and new that I hadn't seen before. So that's that's always going to have a place of affection in my heart. And then uh, for me, a top five is pretty easy because there's only five of them that I would call anything above pretty good, if that makes sense. Not to be a, a contrarian, but uh, Infinity War really, really worked for me. I, I think maybe it's because I didn't care so much about the other movies that it, this one did work for me because it was ending on a different note. And then I really love Spider-Man Homecoming and Captain America, the first Avenger, I think is by far the best origin story of any of the Marvel movies. So that's my top five.
0: OK, let's see here. Um, I think I would move some stuff around, maybe, but not. I think this is pretty I think I've got this pretty locked in at this point as far as uh, my top five. So, OK, in looking at everything here, I would say, you know, what I'm going to do I'm only going to talk about my top three, actually. I'll, I'll, All right. I'll, I'll okay. get to three. So number three is Black Panther, which uh, has risen up the ranks actually for me. First time I saw it, I think expectation might have uh, hurt it a little bit for me. But watching it again at home, um, I loved it so much more, so much more. It plays into a lot of themes that I typically really enjoy in things like Game of Thrones or even like The Lion King uh, of this you know, this guy who's destined for the throne, but has to assume the mantle of being that leader for his people and the weight of that and how much like, you know, the expectation and his relationship with his father and everything. Like, I I just find those themes to be so epic. And I really, really enjoyed so much of the technical aspects of black Panther as well, in terms of the costumes, the art direction, of course, Oscar winning. Um, And you know what? The visual effects didn't bother me as much. The uh, second time. No,
2: they're not terrible. No, I don't, I I, I get the rubbery critique of the final fight between the two of them, but you got to consider All the other visual effects in the movie, you know, the entire city of Wakanda, all the spaceships, plus all the practical effects, it works for me.
0: Yeah, it it bothered me more the first time, and I think part of that was because I saw the film in 3D, and I was also in Ah. the second row, and not in the middle. I was off to the side.
2: Oh, that's exactly how I saw Captain Marvel, exactly, and I was totally lost. Mm -hmm. So I do think that my first initial viewing of
0: Black Panther uh, really colored, you know, in many ways— you know, some of my flaws with it, and so upon watching it again on a rewatch at home, I enjoyed it significantly much more. Right. Second place is Avengers Infinity War. I will defend this film until the end of time. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, Avengers Endgame is going to retroactively make Infinity War like a lesser film. And I I, I think those people are really just setting themselves up for disaster by already stating that. I, I'm taking a wait and see approach. And even if Avengers Endgame does not end well, I think just as a standalone movie, Avengers Infinity War um, will still work because the only thing I have a qualm with with Avengers Infinity War is that I do think the pacing is off sometimes in terms of jumping from one uh, group of characters to another because sometimes they take like very extended amounts of time with like the Guardians of the Galaxy characters and Thor and then we don't get back to... Uh, Iron Man and Doctor Strange and everyone for like such a long time it feels like uh, and that's like my only real issue with the movie otherwise I think it's such an incredible balancing act of all these uh, different characters even like the side characters like uh, Bucky or you know Groot and everybody just has a moment to shine in this I think the cinematography is some of the best in the MCU by far and I think it's also got the best visual effects of any of the MCU films and still, in my mind, the best visual effects of last year. So, I mean, I'm happy that First Man has an Oscar, don't get me wrong, but the work on Thanos alone and what Josh Brolin did with that performance is just mind-blowingly good.
2: The critique of that movie for uh, uh, future not mattering in terms of Endgame because it will, you know, retcon what happens to that is kind of ridiculous. I mean, that's true of any sequel in history. I mean, look at Empire Strikes Back, which is, I mean, pretty easily the best sequel ever made. And the climactic moment of that movie is completely solved in the first 15 minutes of Return of the Jedi. But it doesn't doesn't make it any less of a great, impactful movie.
0: I I completely agree. So that's why I think, like, the criticism is very unfounded. Uh, And then my favorite MCU film is Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which I was not the biggest Captain America first Avenger fan. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was amazing. But Winter Soldier just taking Cap and putting him in the present day and making it more of an espionage spy thriller with these really hyper kinetic action scenes, fast, very, very fast, hard hitting hand to hand combat. I mean, like the action choreography just went such a huge step up and that's such a credit to the Russo brothers and what they've been able to also uh, bring to Civil War, Infinity War and what I'm sure we'll see more of in Endgame. I think their fight choreography is the best of all of the movies, honestly, and you really, really got a sense of that with Winter Soldier. So just in terms of expectations uh, heading into Winter Soldier and how much the movie exceeded my expectations – I think that's why it's number one for me because I went into that thinking, oh, you know, another cap movie. wasn't the biggest fan of. um, Oh no, I don't remember if Thor: The Dark World had come out by that point, but I remember. Um, I I remember not liking Iron Man two.
2: Not no, it had. It did. Thor: The Dark World was. Yeah,
0: so I didn't like Iron Man two. I didn't like Thor: The Dark World. So I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, Captain America: Winter Soldier is not going to be that great. And it was like, holy shit, this is fantastic. And Robert Redford's in it, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, all, all very well done. Really, really, really enjoyed that. So head on over to the polls page of nextbestpicture.com. Let us know which is your favorite film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We even have Avengers Endgame listed there for now, in case you do see it before the poll closes on Saturday, which, let's face it, so many of you are going to be seeing it. Oh, yeah. So if you want to hold off on voting and wait until then, uh, by all means, please do. And that'll pretty much do it for the polls this week. So, now... Let's answer some fan questions uh, pertaining to some of the topics that we talked about this week on the show. So first things first, Uh, we have a question from Jeffrey Kerr at Jeffrey care. He asked us since today's Easter, what are some of your favorite faith-based biblical films? I know that we already discussed our love for silence, but is there anything that in our discussion that uh, we did not bring up that you want to pay special mention to? And yes,
2: Cody, the exorcist, I think can count. Ooh, okay. (laughs) 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 Well, then I'm going to say that the exorcist, fuck it. Yeah. I think that works. It completely works because even if you're not a faith-based person, it's still about the presence of, uh, Evil in the world, whether it's, you know, a spiritual thing or just a straight up human thing, and how you have to, you know, be ready for that and be ready to conquer it, which sounds epic in scale. But I mean, we see in this movie that it doesn't have to be.
1: And, and I'd like to give a shout out to George Stevens, The Greatest Story Ever Told. Oh. Because it was, you know, it was kind of lumped in with all the biblical stuff. But Max Fonsito makes a really interesting Jesus. He's not. Jeffrey Hunter and King of Kings were, you know, bland at all. He's got a. It's it, this guy's really complex, and um, even though the film isn't complex as complex as Bonsito's performance, he's he's quite good in it, and I think the film holds up.
2: I love that he's played Jesus and Death. Yeah, <laughs> versatile.
0: Uh, Dangle B and HLVD movies asks us a very similar question here. Do you think Avengers Endgame game can push for $3 billion worldwide gross and challenge avatars record? And domestically, do you think it's going to have an opening weekend of over 300 million?
2: Um, I, I think it has a possibility. I think the more intriguing possibility for me is if it becomes the first domestic 1 billion, you know, force awakens got so, so close to it. Yeah. And it, couldn't quite make it. Um, Endgame, though, if it is the movie we're all hoping it will be, I imagine we'll have a lot of rewatch factor. But then again, there's that three-hour time running time. So there's you know pluses and minuses for both of those things. I'm and, not and quite to be honest, sure about That photo. is why I don't
0: think it's going to get the uh, domestic $1 It's too long. Yeah, I, I think some people will, even those who enjoy it, I think that there's going to be a... Uh, a segment of the crowd that's going to definitely say to themselves, I don't know if I want to put myself through that again right away. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I'm already planning to see it twice in two weeks, but I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm on yeah, a movie podcast, so there you go. My gauge is
1: around 250, which is no no small change indeed, but uh, I, I don't know. It, it, you're right about the it's it, it doesn't really encourage going back and just, oh, let me catch up again with this. And it's like, oh, it's three more hours of this. Yeah. So a lot will be depending also on the quality
0: of the film. I mean, I think the quality uh, aspect is important. You know, you're talking to the guy here who saw Wolf of Wall Street in the movie theater five times. Wow. So if the movie is fantastic and you want to be a part of the energy of that crowd reacting to specific moments and feeling the energy off of them. Uh, I think that the movies rewatch value will come from that, but there is something to be said for how many times the film can be shown a day yeah, on how many different screens. I mean, Avengers infinity Wars domestic total was $678 million, which is once again, nothing to scoff at. That is really incredible. Uh However, it, was beaten by black panther which grossed 700 million dollars and i just have a very very hard time seeing especially if endgame does not get as good of a critical write-up as infinity war did like let's imagine that it actually falls a little flat for critics and it doesn't get the best reviews could we be heading towards a scenario where it's you know it doesn't even outgross infinity war i think so
2: Um, I, I think it will outgross it just because people have had a chance to see it on Netflix now for so long and they're going to want to see how it concludes just in the same way that return of the King was the highest grossing of all the Lord of the Rings movies. But I, I am again, just interested to see how many people go back to the theater to rewatch it. Okay. I think that's where it's money will really come from. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, uh, so in keeping with the summer movie, uh, Carl uh, Schwaber, uh, Carl J nine one seven seven three on Twitter asks us: It's summer movie wager time. I think Avengers, Lion King, and Toy Story four will be in the top three at the box office. The competition is so fierce for the remaining seven slots. Any predictions on the top ten? Will any non pre existing properties even make the top ten? Uh, you know, that's that's tough because I feel like so many movies this summer are pre existing properties. And they are the only ones that we can seem to be talking, talking about. You know what I mean? Like this entire summer uh, conversation has been dominated by our talks about Toy Story 4, The Lion King and Avengers. It's hard to believe that there's other stuff actually. Coming. <laughs> uh, there is Spider-Man. Ho- um not homecoming. Far from home, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I, I'm I'm curious to see what's going to go on there. Uh, Dark Phoenix. Not so much. We got a Hobbs and Shaw later in the summer. That trailer. Oh my God,
1: was, <laughs> that was a killer trailer, I must say.
0: It was three and a half minutes long. It was so long, but yeah, I will admit that there was some pretty. It's gonna do well, you know. I don't think it's gonna do as well as some of the other films that we're talking about here, but I think it has a chance to crack the top ten. But that's still a pre-existing property. Yeah, I'll be there.
1: I've got it in my top seven. Yeah, uh, number six. I've I've got Avengers, Toy Story, Lion King. Um,
0: secret light of pets Two. that, that could be, yeah. The film that you want to take the kids to. And it does really well.
1: Yeah. Spider-Man, um, Hobbs and Shaw and Aladdin. Those would be my top seven. Oh God. Aladdin. I know.
2: Oh, I keep forgetting about that movie. No, thank you.
1: It, it'll it do business, but uh, Yeah.
2: Um, I I think Lion King, and I've said this before, has the potential to be the highest grossing film of all time. I know we were saying that with Endgame, but Lion King I think really fills the slot of you can see it over and over again. You can bring I imagine it'll be PG instead of PG thirteen, so you can bring kids to it. I think there really is a humongous possibility for that to just make buckets of money.
0: And as much as I want to believe that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood could crack you know the top 10 as far as grossing films this summer it is coming a week after the lion king which in my opinion pretty
2: much will decimate it so yeah um it's not based on the pre-existing franchise and i don't think it'll crack the top 10 but i'm really interested to see how midsummer does yeah hereditary was kind of a um hit i mean it made 44 domestic which is nothing to scoff at And if this can get the reviews, I think it has the potential to be up there with like a conjuring, but maybe not with maybe not that big. But I mean, you know, R-rated horror movies do do well if there's the quality there.
0: Also, too, in terms of just, uh, you know, with the right level of support, uh, Late Night could probably do some damage, I think. I don't think it's going to do anything like 200 million or anything like that, but I think it could crack over 100 million and, you know, do very, very well for itself.
2: That could be really good counter-programming to all the franchises. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah,
0: that's what I'm thinking.
1: And it looks delightful.
0: It is. It is. It's uh, still one of my favorite movies this year. I really, really enjoyed the hell out of it. Okay, and then other questions here. Let's see what else we got. Ooh, Kevin Jacobson asking a very good question. The Academy is holding its Board of Governors meeting on April 23rd, which is two days from now, where they are expected to make a decision on the eligibility of Netflix films and other streaming services. Any predictions on what they will decide? Oh, boy.
1: Kevin, you're killing us.
0: Kevin, I think that nothing is going to happen, personally.
2: I agree. I think the second the um, government stepped in, (laughs) I think think that kind of shut down any possible changes just because they would want to, you know, avoid the frickin' government stepping in to stop them. i I think that's kind of a pretty clear sign that they're gonna just accept it and move on. yeah, I think so
0: Ugh. <laughs> we'll see. I, we'll see. But in all honesty, I think it's gonna still stay the same. yeah, I really I, yeah, after the government stepped in, I don't think they have a leg to stand on now, and it's like, do you really want to go down this route, really? right? Is this really worth it? Uh, Michelle Fowles, what are your reactions to Glenn Close and Amy Adams teaming up in Hillbilly Elegy and their chances for Oscar glory being directed by Ron Howard? Well, I will say this much. If Ron Howard hadn't already won an Oscar, I would say just cast everyone that's overdue for an Oscar at this point because (laughs) putting putting Glenn Close and Amy Adams in a movie together is... (laughs) It's funny because, you know, the headlines between the two of them is that they both have not won, obviously. And what's really, really sad, I feel like, is... The last time we had a movie where two people uh, won in the same year from the same movie was, if I remember correctly, The Fighter. That sounds – no, oh, Three Billboards. No, Three Billboards. Oh, yeah. my god. Yeah, Three Billboards. Sorry. I know some people are probably very happy that I seem to have forgotten that. Uh, sure. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Three Billboards. So, OK, so fairly recently. Uh, but yeah, do we see that even possibly being a remote chance with this or is it just wishful thinking?
2: From my understanding, Glenn Close is a supporting role in this, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there you go. If it's a meaty, you know, 20 minutes of screen time, classic older woman performing like Melissa Leo-esque, there's your Oscar right there.
1: The book is terrific. And uh, boy, this movie is going to be Oscar bait. Um, I'd see the two of them getting in, and I could see the two of them winning.
0: I'm going to be the pessimist of the group here. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to just say no because I like to get my expectations down and I like to be surprised then, so. Very good. Yeah, I, I don't like getting my expectations uh, up because I hate feeling heartbroken. I don't know about you guys, but.
2: I will say when either of them wins or both, I'm pretty sure it will be a kind of run the gauntlet assumption tear through award season. I don't think it, I don't see it being a surprise last minute Oscar. I'm pretty sure they will have collected a lot of hardware up to the point where it becomes undeniable.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, last question from Ryan McQuaid, 77. Do you think Netflix will push Homecoming hard for Best Documentary at the Oscars?
2: Oh, I didn't even think of that. Um, Why not?
0: (laughs) we will push it, but I'm not quite sure
1: it's the kind of film that wins Oscars.
2: They don't really go for concert movies a lot of the time. Um, Even the really popular ones, like, stop making sense. But, I mean, Netflix, if nothing else, does well in the documentary feature branch, so... That's definitely a possibility. It got rave reviews. It. Yeah, absolute rave. But, but
1: if the if the documentary branch turned up their nose at Amazing Grace, for God's sake,s um, they I don't think they're gonna go for this one.
0: I would find it hard to believe. Yeah, I don't. I mean, when was the last time a musical concert film got even a documentary? I mean, the
2: the closest is Twenty Feet from Stardom, but that's not quite yeah. it. Right? You know? Exactly. Yeah. I, that's. Mm. That had a... <sighs> have you both watched it yet? I have not yet, unfortunately.
0: Not yet. No. Okay, I've only yeah. watched a trailer for it. I haven't actually seen it yet. Um, but from everything that I've been told, uh, it's not like twenty feet from start Stardom in that regard. So uh, from an eligibility standpoint, I well, not even from an eligibility standpoint. More of just this is not the kind of thing that they typically go for. Yeah. So
1: they'll go for Bosnia before this.
2: Hmm. Well, Beyoncé is an icon, so... Yeah, an Academy Award nominee, Beyoncé sounds pretty good to me.
0: <laughs> All right, well, that'll pretty much do it here for this week's episode on the Next Best Picture podcast. Uh, Cody, Tom, do either one of you have anything to say before we go? Um, uh,
2: No, just very excited for Endgame. <laughs> very excited for Endgame. I gotta say, congratulations to Marvel for making me excited for it because I was not excited for... Any Marvel movie up to this point? I
0: don't want to give. I don't want. I don't want to give predictions on this podcast about Avengers Endgame. I'm really just hoping for a good movie. That's all. Oh,
2: oh! I will say, be careful out there. My friend was watching something on Hulu and saw a commercial for Endgame, and she said it gave away their plot to defeat Thanos. And apparently, this is a thing. I've seen it on Reddit. Um, okay. So just be careful out there. There's some trailers that are apparently a little more spoilery than others. So just be aware.
0: Yeah, I've been pretty successful in avoiding those so far. I'm going to continue to keep avoiding them because I really do want to go into this as blind as humanly possible. Um, I'm hoping it's a genuine surprise and I can make it the next couple of days until the screening. So, Mm. ah, man, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm really scared I'm going to come across something on the internet and I'm going to just be like, "Oh no, no, I know everything. Oh, my God. You know, I don't want that to happen. So, I want the element surprise to be there. I also want... (sighs) Let me tell you something about that. I was going to say this about the runtime. I want to say this really quickly. Runtime does not matter. If the movie's good, we'll devour it all day and all night. There are people that watch Stranger Things in one sitting when the new season drops. Okay, exactly. Don't talk to me about runtime. Sure. Seriously. Like I, I can understand maybe being in the movie theater, surrounded by annoying people, uncomfortable seating, things like that. I get that. That I understand, but. Not being able to sit through the movie itself? No. No. We've all done it before. You know? We And and the idea that Mar- what Marvel has done is Marvel has basically taken television storytelling and translated it into the cinematic movie-going experience. And so, that's all this is. This is the latest episode in a television series, if you want to look at it that way, that we're all going to binge-watch in three hours' time. So... That's that's how I choose to look at it. And yeah. I think that if you're able to do that from home, you can easily do this at the theater. So quit your bitching.
2: <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. And also, it's just a movie. If you need to leave, you can come back and you're going to see it again. Don't pretend. <laughs> uh,
0: all righty. Well, Cody, where can they find you on the internet?
2: They can find me everywhere: uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at CodyMonster91, and listen to my horror movie podcast, Halloweeners. We just released an episode on Us. You can follow us at HalloweenersPod.
0: Oh, I can't wait to listen to that. Actually, I'm really, really mm-hmm. excited. Spooky! Tom, what about you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at at Thomas E O'Brien, and you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 139 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can. Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, PlayerFM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, leave us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate the feedback. We're trying to hit 200 podcast reviews we have about uh, a little over 70 to go so if you could just get on there and just rate us 5 stars it would be a huge help to help us get to that number and that goal obtained Uh, and if you're feeling a little bit more supportive at that point head on over to Patreon where for $1 minimum a month you can get some exclusive podcast content from us including our series watch of season 8 of Game of Thrones on HBO and our 2015 retrospective with an upcoming review of Sicario that is expected to drop this week thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you wall next time.